Indonesia. Uh, this is Doug Livingston, a uh, long time, 21-year host of uh, the Renewable Energy Hour. And with me tonight is uh, our guest co-host, while Alex takes some time off to deal with crazy business busyness, as if, as if we don't have crazy business, too. Um, but uh, my guest co-host is Chris Love. Hey, Chris, did I manage to reconnect you properly and get you on the board? Yep, I'm here. All right, we were trying to get a better phone connection since it was a little buzzy, but it'll work. Um, uh, I guess I should say, as usual, tonight we're geeking out a little bit. Uh, the topic we're going to be talking about is uh, the distinctions and pros and cons of what are known as DC-coupled systems and AC-coupled systems, at least what are known to me by those names. We're actually going to have some some discussion about different definitions and some wiggle room in what some of these things might mean uh, and share some definitions that uh, for things that have multiple words to describe them and often all mean the same thing. Anyhow, uh, hopefully people know DC means direct current and AC means alternating current. And the stuff you get from the utility or out of most generators is alternating current. So that's what most American appliances are designed to consume. Um, DC is, is uh, unidirectional current instead of oscillating back and forth. And we don't want to go into how current oscillating back and forth can do anything. It does. Um, we won't geek out that much. <laughs> um, but uh, DC, you know, typical sources of DC electricity are batteries. All batteries make DC electricity. Solar panels make DC electricity. You can make generators that make DC electricity, although usually they're actually making AC electricity internally and getting converted to DC. Something that converts from DC or some from AC to DC is called a rectifier, and something that converts from DC to AC is called an inverter. And so most people's solar electric systems have an inverter in the system. Um, and there are a number of different types of flavors of solar electric systems. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term photovoltaic... We may we may say the word photovoltaic or more likely PV, an abbreviation for photovoltaic. And what we mean by that are solar electric panels or the solar electric array, solar solar electricity in general. Modules. Modules, yes, yes. Uh, it, we prefer to use the word module to panel, but in common usage, uh, we can't overcome that. Most, most people call them solar panels. Yeah. But... Um, I'm going to try to use as common of a terminology as possible. Um, in uh, the old school off-grid systems, you typically had a solar array, and it would come through a charge controller whose job was to prevent the fairly stupid solar panels from overcharging your batteries, because that's a bad thing. Um, they don't prevent you from overusing from your batteries. Most of them don't. Um, but they do prevent the solar from overcharging the battery. So if the batteries get full, it basically throttles back and eventually turns off the solar to prevent damage to the batteries, or in the case of lead-acid batteries, too much uh, off-gassing of your electrolyte, um, and too much heat, etc. Um, 
And to me, uh, oh wait, again, it goes from the solar through a charge controller to the batteries. And then essentially from the batteries typically to an inverter, although in the old days some people just, just had 12-volt DC loads and didn't have an inverter at all. Inverters were expensive and inefficient, but now inverters are very common. It's crazy to do a DC load system in most cases these days. So you would have an inverter that converts from your battery bank's voltage, which is typically 12, 24, or 48 volts. Larger systems are pretty universally 48 volts. There's a bunch of advantages to that. The one disadvantage to being at 24 or 48 volts is you can't use all those DC appliances made for RVs and sailboats, but that's nowhere near as common now as it used to be. Yeah, and there's definitely a, a newer distinction now with higher voltage batteries, but that's primarily a grid-tied monster. Yes, a grid-tied monster in, in, uh, uh, in large... Utility scale facilities and in uh, in uh, residential systems, you can do a higher voltage than 48 volts if the batteries are contained inside of a unit that is as a whole UL listed. Yep. But you can't install higher than a 48 volt battery bank in, under the National Electric Code in a residence if it's a separate item from the equipment. Correct. If it's not part of the equipment. And there's good reasons for that. Batteries. Oh, yeah. Batteries can be scary. Uh, even a 12-volt battery can be scary. Uh, not oh, that, yeah. Not that it'll electrocute you, but, uh, you know, a, a single RV Marine battery can put out 4,000 amps in a short circuit. Um, yeah, that's why they have those warnings on them about explosions and acid and all kinds of stuff that will ruin your day and maybe maybe uh, your plans for the next few years. And, and why you really want to get the red to the red and the black to the black when you're doing your jumper cables. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Now, just real quick, just so people know, the higher voltage batteries can actually do things like electrocute you and yeah. blow muscle off yeah. bone and there's right. some really dangerous stuff. Yeah, in fact, they, the, the OSHA says that 48 volts is really not a, uh, a life hazard. You can feel it. It's a little zing. Yep. They, they say it is a potential issue because it can cause you your muscles to do some funny things, which might cause you to fall off the roof, but you're not going to be electrocuted by it to death. Yeah, and there there is some stuff out there that, you know, some people may experience some heart issues mm -hmm. above 30 volts. Pace, pace um, but the real, yeah, the real safety line is more in the 80 volt range. Yeah. Um, um, you know, as far as personal safety. So, to me, that that type of system, that old school off-grid system with the solar array, a charge controller, solar array going through a charge controller to a battery bank, and then feeding the inverter from the battery bank, essentially. I like to tell people that, you know, you're really not getting the solar, the the AC power from the array, you're getting it from the battery, but the... But the array is recharging the batteries. That's a little gray area because the, the juice from the solar array can flow in over the surface of the tops of the batteries and not actually go in and out of the batteries and onto your inverter. So that's a little... Path of least resistance. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's a statement I don't like. 
people when i ask what a ground is for and uh people are saying well it's to give it uh, you know a least resistant path to travel so it won't shock you and yes electricity will take the path of least resistance but it will also take the path of most resistance electricity will take all paths available simultaneously just more of it more of it will go down the path of least resistance and the real purpose of ground is not to take away the juice from you know the metal enclosure that it accidentally touched it's yeah it's to cause a low resistance short circuit that guarantees the circuit will break to depower the entire circuit where there's the problem that's exactly the don't the try it don't ever try it without a fuse or a breaker in line that's properly sized for the circuit yeah yeah <laughs> Anyhow, uh, that type of system, that classic off-grade system with an inverter, old school, that's what I would have called a DC-coupled system and, and how the, the phrase was used initially. Apparently, in my conversations with Chris, a lot of other things have you know been sneaking into the AC-coupled and DC-coupled world. But we called that a DC-coupled system because the solar is coupled to the batteries all in DC. And there's another type of system that emerged more recently, you know, the past decade or two, um, where, where you actually have two inverters. And before we describe an AC-coupled system, we have to discuss the flavor difference of these two different type of inverters. One is the type of inverter that's most commonly used in grid tie systems. We're using the common terminology grid tie. The technical term for that in the National Electric Code and legal world is utility interactive. That's too much of a mouthful. We're going to call it grid tie. But utility interactive. That's an inverter that can synchronize its AC waveform with the utilities and and put out power in parallel with the utility so that it can feed your loads at the same time the utility is feeding the same loads and share the duty. And even, you know, if you're making more AC power from your solar system than your house is consuming at the moment, it'll actually overflow backwards and feed out onto the grid to a neighbor's house, spinning your meter backwards. um, at any rate, I call the utility interactive systems come in a few different flavors. The most common one is one that does not have batteries in it. And my favorite term for this type of system is a direct grid tied system. It really bothers me that there are a lot of people in the industry who refer to that type of system as a grid tied system and think that that means no batteries. And the type of systems that have batteries and are doing grid tie are also grid tie systems. So to me, that's a very poor choice of verbiage. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Chris, absolutely. You, Chris, you had a couple of uh, different ways of saying direct grid tie. You called them uh, PV inverters or solar inverters. Is that right? Yeah, solar photovoltaic um, inverters, and that they're mm-hmm. only meant to convert solar DC to AC. Sine wave. They weren't. Power. They weren't intended to run off of batteries. Is the is this distinction? And I, I'm okay with those, those two words. Those two yeah. verbiages. And I'm going to keep calling. Not in, they're I'm, not intended to run if there's not something else creating an AC signal that 
tells them, hey, we have power here, you're okay to turn on, because yeah. if they turn on when there's no power, they could electrocute somebody or very easily. Well, that, you know, the, the, the origin of that restriction is the line workers. Yep. They, they want to be able to turn off the breakers at the substation when they're going to do work on lines, and the last thing they want to see is somebody's generator or somebody's solar system feeding juice out onto the grid while they're trying to work on those lines. And so, yeah. and so all that's, of that's these... A potential manslaughter charge <laughs> yes, for indeed. somebody that does that stuff that has the knowledge otherwise. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, well, and all of the UL-listed inverters that would be accepted by the utility to do grid intertie automatically shut down when the when there's a power outage in a matter of milliseconds. Uh, yeah. And people putting in backup generators that feed onto their house circuits are legally required to put in either a manual or an automatic isolation transfer switch so that yeah. the grid couldn't possibly be fed by your generator. And, and no suicide cables. No suicide cables. Now, <laughs> tell them what you mean by suicide cables. So the suicide cable would be where you take, you know, what we normally, you know, consider a plug. Uh, which a, has a, male, a male plug. <clears throat> yeah, so it has, you know, exposed terminals. Prongs. And you plug, yeah, prongs, and you plug that into a generator. And on the other end, some people, because they don't know there's things like inlets and connectors that are made to be a female-type plug to plug in, so you don't have any exposed live prongs. Um, yeah. Some people will just put in a plug on the other end of their house and then have a cord with two male plugs on either end and plug it into the generator first, and now you got something live in your hand. Yeah. Uh, and, and, really, and they're really dangerous, even for a professional that knows exactly yeah. what they're doing. Alex, Alex was the first one who taught me that phrase, a suicide cable. Yeah. Um, but it's also problematic because what they're going to do with that other plug is plug it into their dryer outlet or some other 240-volt mm-hmm. receptacle in their house. And, yes, they got power to their whole house from their generator without having to put in an isolated sub-panel and a transfer switch, but they're also probably feeding juice back onto the grid. Everyone says, oh, I just turn off the main. And, yeah, uh, what if you forget? Yeah, that's why we like to have an interlock. And not just forget, maybe you have some family members that are going to be there, and they don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. They just saw you do this thing, so they repeat it. Yeah, ah, yeah. Mm. Well, there's also the problem that, I mean, if you do turn off the main, you don't know when the grid came back on. Yeah, Um, (laughs) And the other problem is, even if you didn't electrocute a line worker by sending juice out onto the grid, you're probably trying to power the whole neighborhood with your little six kilowatt generator or whatever you got and that's that's smoking that generator that's going to be smoking the generator (laughs) and even if that's not happening if you're on enough of an isolated circuit uh when the grid does come back and the grid power meets your generator power they're not synchronized and there will be a battle and your generator will lose Absolutely. So put in a transfer Every switch. Every single time. <laughs> put in a transfer switch. Anyhow, uh, these direct grid tie inverters, the ones that just take juice directly from a solar array with no batteries, convert whatever solar power is available into AC power and push, go to whatever voltage they have to in order to push it out. Um, I call those direct grid tie inverters, solar inverters, PV inverters, photovoltaic solar photovoltaic inverters that's that's all fine but don't just call it a grid tie inverter because there's other types right. of grid tie inverters um, yes 
And so the the old, in my book, the old traditional definition of an AC-coupled system is a system that has a direct grid tie inverter and a battery-based inverter. And the battery-based inverter has an AC output and an AC input. Actually, the input can be bidirectional. Um, and... Uh, yeah. Um, and an onboard battery charger. And as is the output, bidirectional. Yep, I guess general. that's true. Yep, the output's bidirectional, too. Okay, you can that's be, you can be buying, or, buying or selling. Yeah, because the, you know, the, the solar PV inverter or direct grid tie inverter, as you say, would actually be coupled on the output side of most battery-based inverters. Not all, but most. And the battery inverter is accepting whatever your loads don't use and taking that into itself and putting it out to the battery to charge the battery. And, uh, and, and then maybe also selling back the excess to the grid. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're on the grid. And that's what's interesting is these systems can be wholly off-grid. And by the way, the technical term for off-grid in the National Electric Code is standalone. Correct. A standalone system is what we would call an off-grid system. Meaning, yeah, they do not like you putting off-grid on your plans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and interestingly enough, these uh, and well, you can get utility interactive inverters that uh, that operate in the old-fashioned off-grid way. With, you know, a solar array through a charge controller to the battery, out of the battery to the utility interactive battery-based inverter, um, properly defined in the National Electric Code as a bimodal inverter. And the whole thing would be a bimodal system, meaning sometimes it's in grid-tie mode and sometimes it's in standalone mode, off-grid mode. Uh, I'm, I'm a little uh, uncomfortable with a very a more common term for this type of system a hybrid system it makes sense it's a hybrid between a grid tie system and an off-grid system but the term is already taken in fact it's explicitly taken in the national electric code to mean a system that has multiple sources like the way we always right. the way we always used to use it was solar plus either hydro or wind that was a hybrid system uh their definition stretches that a little bit they exclude utility so a direct grid tie inverter is not a utility, uh, not a hybrid system, but solar plus some other power source besides the utility. And unfortunately, they include generator, which we would never have called a hybrid system back in the day. When the right. Term and some of the manufacturers are taking that term hybrid for some of their, you know, super combined battery based inverters mm. that have also combined a solar PV Charge inverter into them oh, where yeah. where you can install that, you know, and have a 600 volt, you know, DC solar coming into it and not even install the battery. So the battery side of the inverter is not even functioning and that the manufacturers are trying to, you know, take and call that a hybrid mm. system, which, you know, I agree is not the proper terminology 
They just need to call it what it is and say we're turning that side off. <laughs> it's a, it's a bi- technically it's a bimodal system, but you'll hear those systems called hybrid systems with some. Yeah, reason. I think I think hybrid is just a you know a good selling point mm-hmm. kind of a word that mm-hmm. raises eyebrows and causes interest. So it means they make money. <laughs> there there are off grid battery based inverters that can't grid tie, and they're not uh-huh. a hybrid inverter. It's only right. the ones that uh, that can uh, draw from batteries and feed loads when the grid is down or completely off-grid, but could also feed onto the grid and do utility interactive functioning. Um, so well, I'll call those bimodal or battery-based grid tie, I often call them because that's so explicit. Um, right, and it but, helps cut through all this chaff that you know is being created by the manufacturers mixing things up a little bit for everybody versus what the nec says yeah well what the nec by the way folks is national electrical there you go more definitions we've got to get those out and stop using initials the national the national electric code um which your local building district may follow in part in whole or in addition to um, yeah, and and to be specific for, you know, the crowd, uh, California electric code is what we actually have to abide yeah. by, and that California always has some additions, yeah. mostly because we're far ahead of the rest of the nation in the deployment of solar and wind and, well, not not wind necessarily, but especially solar and battery-based systems that are grid-type. And we're also a heavy regulation state compared to many states, and... Yes. That's a reflection of that, too. But uh, right. we're safe. Yeah, but it PG&E, also does mean is behind the, the code enforcement line, though. They're not safe. Yeah, they have their <laughs> own code. It's the Green Book. It has nothing to do with the National Electric or California Electric Codes. And uh, they kind of make it themselves and just get a little approval from the Public Utility Commission. At any rate, the original battery-based inverters that could do utility interaction, bimodal inverters or battery-based grid tie inverters, whatever you want to call them, they operated pretty similar to the old-school off-grid systems where you would have a solar array feeding through a charge controller to a battery bank and then from the battery bank to the inverter. And the inverter could typically had two AC ports, one that could isolate itself from the utility and the other one that would could feed onto the utility. And the one that can feed onto the utility was legally required to shut down within X number of milliseconds of the grid going sufficiently out of spec, i.e., most commonly, a power outage. Uh, so, right. so it would shut down that connection that could feed to the grid, but there was this other output that could feed to uh, a separate panel that when things are running normally, juice could flow backwards, you know, through the inverter from the utility to feed that isolated sub-panel. Um, sometimes this panel will be called a backup load panel or a critical load panel. What do you call it, Chris? Um, I still generally call it a critical load panel okay. with clients, but specifically, even though it's really not the proper fit, because most residences don't actually have what the industry would consider critical loads. 
Yeah. Because critical loads are things like stoplights in the road. Yeah, well, they, and, the, you know, the homeowner can send some more important stuff. We, we want right. our lights, we want our fridge and freezer to keep going. Exactly. Yeah, so those circuits so, are going to get moved over to that critical load panel. Yeah, it's critical to my life, so it's critical, period. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the original battery-based grid tie inverters were what I would call a DC-coupled system. But then we started seeing this new type of system, uh, probably earliest on from uh, the sunny island from SMA America. Was that the earliest AC coupled systems you saw? That's, uh, as far as I know, that's the original one, and I'm really not 100% on when that first came out in North America. I thought it was in the mid or late 90s. Uh, I don't think I saw one until the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, they are kind of the original, but those were built at a at a level of kind of utility grade. Oh, they're, and, they're almost too and, complicated. They, they, they're about 10,000 things you can program in that thing. Yeah, I mean, once you understand it, it's not that complicated, but, you know, it is definitely, you know, a bit of a heavy lift, and it's not... You know, it's it's built by a bunch of German utility engineers that don't speak English. Oh, speaking and, of there's, there's another opportunity for some vocabulary, although with a little humor on the side. SMA makes some direct grid tie inverters, um, which are generally uh, have the brand name Sunny Boy. And right. when those came out, we were all chuckling, saying, good German engineering, bad Asian marketing. Um and, but then somebody filled me in on where the Sunny Boy name came from. It was an improper, literal translation of a German phrase, which would be translated directly to Sunny Boy. But in German, it essentially carried the connotation of beach bum. <laughs> you know, that's so fitting. I mean, so, we have these problems with like down the line with so many things in the industry. I mean, if you get into a Modbus map, good luck <laughs> figuring out what they mean by a certain statement on some specific set point, and that this is. It's just par for the course, really. That's silly. I did not know that. Beach, That's beach, great, beach great trivia. It was appropriate marketing for them. It meant this thing is just casually kicking back, soaking up the sun. Uh, like, right. Like a beach bum. And there's an even bigger, more intelligent pun with when they came out with their battery-based inverter, the Sunny Island. Do you catch the, the dual meaning there? Oh, maybe I'm not, you know, quite on top of it enough here. If in, in the electrical world, an island of power oh, yeah. historically was a bad thing. It was that right. guy who was sending his generator juice backwards through his outlet without turning off his main onto the local grid. Yep. And in fact, the function of those direct grid tie inverters and the battery-based bimodal inverters... Uh, the part of them that shut when they shut down because of a power outage, that's called anti-islanding. Exactly. And yeah. so the sunny island was a legal island of power in your own house. Right. Anyhow. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, another kind of term that I think is very fitting is that overall what what these grid-tied battery-based inverters are doing is operating as an uninterruptible power supply for your critical loads. Mm-hmm. 
That's how you know, they're mostly used. They're often right. advertising lots of other stuff you could do with them that probably doesn't make sense economically. Yeah, you might not even know the grid turned off. <laughs> but so describe an early AC coupled system with a sunny island. Well, how would the components interact, and what components would you have? Because we've yet to define um, an AC coupled system. Yeah, so the AC coupling is that you know the grid tied, you know, or the grid direct solar inverter um, is on the load side of this battery inverter. And so the solar is coming through that PV inverter at a pretty high efficiency. Um, And then that is then going to feed your loads and feed power into the battery inverter and output to the grid and or charge your battery, depending on the priorities that are set. So you would have your solar array with your direct grid tie inverter converting all of your solar power from DC to AC. And that type of inverter, direct grid tie inverters in general, have very high efficiencies up in the high 90s. Um, And a typical... Yeah, we're getting in a 98.5% or so at this point. A typical quality battery-based inverter is usually in the low to maybe mid 90s percent so it, yeah it's typically oh, oh. a lot of the north american ones are still stuck at 90 90 you know, 91 pretty, is probably the most yeah common. although watch yeah, out like, you buy a cheap you know off-grid inverter it might be 80 percent efficient yeah i mean there's still some 75s out there ouch. i find that are just a couple years old at somebody's place and that's yeah. a ouch people well, gotta really avoid that because you are just pouring money into that thing every day (laughs) well there's also a problem with some cheap off-grid inverters in that their no low draw is extraordinarily high i've seen you know 600 watt inverters that suck 70 watts just to fire up its own circuits with nothing plugged into it right just sitting there humming away doing nothing yeah and we used to get ragged that you know why are you selling this more expensive one i've got one that's got the same specs i says well ours draws three watts when nothing's on and yours draws 15 right and i you know and that's where like say the sunny island when it's maxed out doing everything it could possibly do pulling power in pushing power out six thousand watts going out max 25 watts the inverter's using sitting at standby not really on four watts yeah, cool. You know, and we've and we've tracked it most of the time. Average home loads, it's about eight watts. But you know, there's a, a newer, very combined bimodal battery inverter that's combined with a direct. Um, God, say your term again. The grid direct yeah, solar direct, inverter. Direct grid tie. That we we chose that direct. term because uh, we used to use the term direct photovoltaic direct in the old days to refer to uh, a typical. Uh, no battery, no inverter, say, water pumping system. We called right. that photovoltaic direct. And so we chose the same direct terminology to refer to solar going straight to the inverter instead of having a battery in between. Yeah, so this, there's this newer inverter that's become very popular amongst installers and, and what, what homeowners. Brands, what brand's that? Uh, this would be the Solar. The Solar. And that it's, yeah, it's a 50 watts, you know, the, for... And that was their original 8,000 watt, I think. And then the 9,000 watt that's newer, and then the 12 and the 15, they they use generally about twice as much power as almost any of the other battery inverters I've looked at. And be, just to stay on. Be careful, because this also contains 
a charge controller built into the same unit, when they say 12,000 watts, they're referring to the combined power that it can process, not the inverter's maximum output. I'm pretty sure the, that's the battery output because the solar, like on the 12 kilowatt version, the max solar is 9,600 watts, I think. Well, the, wow. max, the max AC output of the inverter is 9 kilowatts. Oh, really? On their 12 kilowatt? Yep. Yep. So that's All why right. I wanted to point that out. Yeah, I you know I have to admit I don't know enough of the details on them because I I got turned off by a couple of things and turned away from them so I'm not trying to poo poo them I'm just not happy with them myself that's all. all. Right. Um, yeah. You're you're happy with that sunny island anyhow I still want to get a picture in in people's heads of how an AC coupled system works. You have your solar array it comes into a direct grid tie inverter my term that converts the DC power from the array to AC power. And that typically feeds along a wire and can go off to an isolated sub-panel somewhere along the way. But also goes, yeah. also connects to a bi-directional AC port in the inverter. <coughs> and, 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 and if the grid is up and running, if it's you know a grid-tied system, then if the isolated sub-panel isn't sucking down all the juice that the solar's making at the time, if the loads are low on that isolated sub-panel and the array's putting out a lot, it'll feed right through the battery-based inverter onto... Well, it can go straight through to your AC main panel and feed your right. non-critical loads. And if your house isn't consuming as much as your solar is making, it can go backwards onto the grid. Uh, Correct. Generally, it's not charging the batteries when the grid is up. The batteries are already full. Right. But should there be a power outage, the well, there's also a rate arbitrage. You know. Yeah. So, you know, but, using your batteries during peak hours at night. And and you can aside, you can do that on 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 DC coupled systems too. So let's not even go there. Right. Um. Uh, let's, let's think in terms of backup power, because that's certainly the more practical usage of batteries at this m point in time. Um, the rate arbitrage, that's when you're, when you're, you use your, your battery juice to typically offset your loads in the early evening when your solar's not putting out squat, but the rates are still very high. And then, yeah. and then the next morning when the sun comes back, instead of selling all that solar power to the grid at the lower morning rates, you're recharging your batteries. But the price difference between morning and evening electricity, every time I calculate it, is less than the cost of cycling those same batteries through your battery, those same kilowatt hours through your battery. Yeah. So I you're actually losing money when you think you're gaining money because you're wearing out your battery. Well, with these advanced batteries, you know, they're not going to last the lifetime, you know, having a battery that does 5,000 cycles, you know, and if you're only using it for backup power for maybe, you know, what, max, yeah. what, Hand, you know, 40 days, days a year, year. Yeah. You're, you know, these batteries are not going to last 125 years no, <laughs> you know, no, before not. they corrode. They're not. So, they're not. you know, you might, so as, might well as well get your money them. back out of them since you already spent the money. Yeah, okay. I, I can accept There's, that argument. That, that's, a, that's a whole other show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, when the grid goes down, this battery-based inverter will immediately 
throw a relay that turns off the connection to your main panel so it can no longer sell juice to the grid or your main loads. Right. But it can put out an AC signal that fools the direct grid tie inverter into thinking the grid is still up. And so yeah. your solar array and the direct grid tie inverter get to keep working during a power outage. And, and these direct grid tie inverters do require very specific configuration yeah, yeah. to make these types of things work, or you could have very serious high-cost problems or just a system that doesn't work, yeah, somewhere in between. That, yeah, it's more common. But, yeah. but also the curious thing is that, you know... Uh, Okay, so the sun goes down and the solar output ceases to exist and there's still a power outage. Well, you've got this full battery bank there waiting and the battery-based inverter can draw from the battery bank, convert it to AC power and feed the critical loads. And uh, that will draw down your batteries and say the next morning the sun comes up and there's still a power outage. The battery-based inverter is still telling the direct grid tie inverter that the grid's still up, and so the grid tie inverter wakes up and starts making power and offsetting loads. But actually, it's going to have excess eventually because of the way these things are typically configured. And where does that excess go? Well, the battery-based inverter will automatically take the excess power and convert it to DC and recharge the batteries. Right. Very. And then once your batteries get full, then the battery, the AC coupled battery based inverter is capable of modulating and altering the type of AC power that's happening. We don't, you know, I don't know if we want to get into all those details, but that, that, there's, free, a, there's a simple frequency way. power shift control. Right. It, 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 at the crudest form is just once the batteries are full. Now we don't know what to do with that excess solar juice, and so the battery-based inverter shifts its frequency output just barely out of spec for what the direct grid tie inverters say, hey, there's something wrong with the grid, I'm supposed to shut down, and they'll shut down, and probably five five minutes later, it'll it'll, uh, say, hey, I've got enough room to charge some more, and go back to proper frequency and the grid tie inverter come back online. That's the crudest form. More sophisticated ones are actually talking to each other and the battery-based inverter is telling the direct grid tie inverter, just slow down. Don't turn off. Just just slow down. Yeah, and without that communication, there is an elegant way to modulate the electricity, you know, and the frequency so that the grid tied, the, the grid direct solar inverter you know, actually modulates and reduces its output, you know, and matches up with the load that you're using in your home um, and doesn't put out any more than that. With, um, with and in a really completely different brands of inverters? Um, you know, yeah. So, like, Afronius solar PV inverters do this, like, seamlessly, no with, communication direct. With any... What's that? Well... They have a battery-based inverter? Uh, no, Fronius doesn't. I'm saying, like, with a sunny island or with, you know, because, see, we're getting into a little bit okay. of the weeds here and okay. that some of these, quote-unquote, AC, these battery-based inverters that can AC couple, that manufacturers make these claims of AC coupling, but they're kind of faux AC coupling. And that what I've well, they, found... They is do that, AC coupling. They're just not good at dealing with the excess 
when the batteries are full. Yeah, they handle the frequency power shift control, but if you're in a more complex system where, say, you have a generator, because, you know, you're grid-tied and so you want to be really resilient and never have outages, or you're off-grid and so you obviously have a generator, um, you know, something like a Schneider, an Outback Radian, has to have a relay that actually locks out the solar if the generator's on. They cannot manage those two AC sources on the same system, where something like a Sunny Island will modulate the solar and the generator inputs perfectly to match the battery demand and your load demand. Yeah, well, Sunny Island's pretty amazing. It really is, and the its functionality, and then I'm, you know, for myself, this is part of why I've stuck with it, because I'm still searching for other inverters, that battery-based inverters, that truly AC couple, and that, you know, because you got maybe the generator comes on at 7 in the morning because your battery's about to dump and turn the whole system I, off. I object to you, you saying... Know? truly ac couple i think all of them even the crappy ones truly ac couple they just don't do it well yeah and, and that i mean that's and so yeah maybe i'm not being fair and calling it faux ac coupling but um you know not being able to handle you know requiring a lockout relay for the solar for the generator is the end yeah. is for the solar if the generator yeah. comes yeah. on yeah. is the engineers not doing their job yeah and that I've I've gone through tech support and gotten past every level where they're like, fine, send them to the engineers. You know, where somebody picks up the phone, there's no noise canceling, I can hear a shop in the background, <laughs> and I end up on the phone with the engineers for 15 or 20 minutes explaining what I'm trying to do and what I'm searching for. And, and bar none, four different manufacturers, same question from their engineers is, how do they do it? And I'm like, well, that's my question to you as to, you know, when are you guys going to get this together so that we can have these really dynamic and super dependable systems for our clients, well, you know, at the same cost. We're, we're three and I was, I was going to say, we're three quarters of the way through the show, and we've oh my fi God. we finally got our definitions down, but we've yet to talk about the pros and cons between right. DC coupling and AC coupling. And you're clearly a big fan of AC coupling, and I would like to rattle off some clear upfront advantages of AC coupling uh, that particularly, uh, if most of your power is consumed during the day, or you are in a grid tie situation, you're relying much more on the more efficient direct grid tie inverter than the battery inverter. So the system's more Correct. efficient. Um, and it's similar in off-grid. If most of your loads are in the day and you're heavy in the day, those that solar that solar grid tie direct inverter is going to feed directly to your loads. I take exception with that. I consider that one of the disadvantages because You've got to run power all night long. And so you've got to do battery charging in the day. And instead of having, you know, a 2% loss through your charge controller, you've got a 20% loss through the battery charger built into the inverter. They're typically, the battery chargers are typically 80, 85% efficient. 
Yeah, I so think, that's I a think substantial for a, of, loss. for a lot of inverters, that's true. For some, it's not so true. Okay, I, I, um, it's hard to get specs on how efficient the battery charger is. Um, right. When I so measure then, stuff, that's that's the way it's working out. It's you know eighty eighty five percent efficient. Right. Yeah. Some of so, them do so actually lost- have load battery load curves in their specs. And this is, to me, you know, if anybody's going to consider AC coupling and their battery-based inverter does not have that curve in the specs, don't do it. Don't do it, yeah. Yeah, but so there's my point is, you know, we've thrown away 3% converting the solar power into AC power and fed it into the battery-based inverter, which then converts at least the part that it's going to charge batteries. It converts that converts that part losing you know another 15 percent at least in my book before going into the battery and so to me yeah, that's a disadvantage so i i am much more willing to accept the use of an ac coupled system on a grid tied system since they're rarely charging their batteries right um, and i think that's where like even in the off-grid world if somebody's you know 90 percent of their loads are in the daytime when the sun is out then that's where they can really take advantage of that, you know, AC coupled yeah. solar output. And, and that's not my ex- that's not my experience with most residential off grid systems. They do most of their consumption, you know, significant at least half their consumption at night, in the evening. Um, right. I think it's morning. you know kind of and they're away during the day. Up, Yeah. Where if you maybe have like a working homestead or you know cannabis right. farm right. or right. you know things like that where people are actually working at home. Then that's where the load profile uh, yeah. profiles tend to shift. I, I'll agree with you. Yeah. The more the more uh, mm-hmm. you consume during the day, and the less you consume during at night, the less I'm going to argue. Or I'm going to try to talk you out of an AC coupled system off the grid. Sure. But on the grid, uh, they're actually quite reasonable. There's another disadvantage, though, is those direct grid tie inverters are significantly more expensive than the same capacity charge controllers. Uh, you know, I would say for the smaller stuff, yeah, but when you start getting into the 6 and 7.7 kilowatt range, it's pretty even when, you know, cause for myself, you know, with charge controllers, I'm really careful. You know, if you're if you're doing, say, a, a Schneider battery-based system, then you really kind of do want to stick with Schneider equipment so mm-hmm. all the communications come in mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. into one spot, but their charge controllers aren't all that greatly efficient. You know, until you get to the 600-volt models, where if you're looking at midnight charge controllers, their charge controllers are stellar. But you're really only going to get 4,500 watts into those things. And, you know, because when you're matching up the different sizes of solar panels, you know, based on what's available and the cost and all these things and the size you have available, and you know, if you don't have a lot of room and space to put something and you're trying to crunch stuff in, then it gets a little trickier to really, you know, you might end up for seven kilowatts, you might end up with two charge controllers. What? And at that point, you're spending more than you would on a 7.7 kilowatt PV inverter, you, you which, have, is, you perfect, have, you which have, is perfect for nine kilowatts of solar. You, you have some high-end clientele just like Alex. The vast, yeah, the vast majority of, of off-grid systems are living on, on, you know, four kilowatts or less of inverter in this county. Right. And, you know, less than four kilowatts of solar. Yeah. 
Yep. You know, and I agree. In the in general, in my own business, I would only go into AC coupling unless somebody already has a scenario that's really restricted towards not doing DC coupling. I would generally not consider it below four kilowatts of solar, you know, or five, somewhere in that range. And then once right, you get so into the charge controllers, you know, I start shifting, you know, that that economics of the install. All right. We're, we're more in agreement than I had realized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and there's these for nuances, sure. you know, for small systems, what I consider the most important systems to our listeners here. Um, I probably wouldn't be doing an AC-coupled system off the grid. Actually, the best aspect of an AC-coupled system in my historical use, my favorite reasons for them existing, was it made people comfortable... <laughs> Putting in the far less expensive, far more efficient, far lower green uh, carbon and environmental footprint solar direct system because it's so easy to convert an existing solar direct system to a battery-based system by way of putting in one of these AC-coupled battery-based inverters. And it really depends on what the existing... Equipment solar is. grid direct inverter is because that's that's something I found that distributors are really pushing for people that want the battery backups and say they have an old end phase system and so they're saying oh it'll work fine and they don't change out these old M250s that literally have no capability of modulating their output yeah and well so in, you, in, in that case you you're going to go to that crudest solution where if you're overflowing power simply turn off the solar array which is what they do they shift to 59 hertz instead of 60 and and the end phase shuts down what's wrong with the that? end phase yeah the end phase doesn't shut down at 59 it, it waits longer and so it's basically what you're depending on is the ul1741 you know hardware in that inverter to shut down and if you disconnect the communications gateway where you know these these are plc so they communicate over the power line to the inverter so you have this little gateway inside your house and if you unplug that this inverter doesn't retain its programming and you will immediately have a high voltage on your battery and the whole system will black out and so you know this is where well, they you know, want, you have they're not older, feeding they're not feeding the battery they're feeding the the battery-based inverter's AC input, so it's the battery-based inverter whose fault it is. Well, the, the battery-based inverter, I've seen it with an old in-phase M250s on a Schneider XW Pro, their newest battery-based inverter, shut down because it had a battery voltage of 70. <laughs> because we had a, somebody turned off the breaker to the gate with the in-phase the gateway, the Envoy. Huh, I wonder um, how that's so, legal for the for the end phase not to have shut down. Um, that, you know, that, I'm not exactly sure that that is legal. And this is where, you know, distributors should really be saying, hey, people, you need to change that inverter out. That's mm -hmm. not going to work. Mm -hmm. Because these the end phase M250s do not have frequency power shift control capability. They don't modulate. There is an on and off in that if the frequency drops too low or goes right. too high. Well, that was how I understand you, did, that you could do it with different brands that didn't communicate well, is just yeah. shift the frequency enough so that it was enough out of range that the rules required that the inverter automatically shut down in a very quick yeah. time. And I'm pretty sure that that's closer to 56 or 64, okay. though, which okay. in the battery-based world is zero output from the solar for an AC coupled system that's okay. working properly and designed well, 
Um, so right. it's tricky because there, there are some manufacturers like say Fronius or SMA with their solar grid direct inverters that, you know, these, they have always had this frequency power shift control capability. So, so that if for, the frequency for, of the AC dropped a little bit, it would drop its output a, a little bit. And if yep. it dropped a little more, it would drop a little more. And so that the, yep. a sophisticated battery based AC coupling inverter could gradually shift its its uh, frequency, and that would cause the solar to gradually slow down, just like a charge Correct. controller would during the absorption stage. Yeah, and I think, you know, on the part of distributors, you know, they, they want to make money. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, you know, let's do the right thing, folks. Hey, you know, tell people what they need to hear. <laughs> it's, it's very rare that we uh, don't give the listeners a chance to call in, but I'm afraid we may have chased away all the listeners today. But so, <laughs> or, or there are or they're all glazed over out there, but uh, I, possible. I'd, I'd like to leave, there, you know, a couple of minutes for, you know, somebody, if they were dying to ask a question or make a comment or tell a story of yeah. their trauma so or there, something, it's 895-2448. There is one critical difference that I want to highlight between DC and AC coupling and that with DC coupling, every single charge controller needs its own individual home run of wiring and conduit if it's you know, wherever it is, whether it's on the house or it's ground mounted, where with an AC coupled system, you can literally attach those anywhere you have an AC load center on your property. Uh, yeah, that's and, an advantage. And if, and if you do a ground mount and you put a PV and, you know, this grid direct solar inverter over there, well, then you might as well just put a load center. And you can have plugs, and you can run power further out from there mm -hmm. as well. So there, there is this flexibility yep. with the AC bus that can really be taken advantage of to save a lot of money and increase your functionality that is of great benefit to some people based on what they're trying to do. And so you have to decide what it is you really want to do, not just now, but in the future, and leave certain doors open oh. for yourself. There's somebody who's still awake. Let's take that call. Yeah. We just got a couple of minutes. Well, hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, speaking of what we want to do in the future and critical load, I, I, this is not directed at you two, but it's directed at all of us. We need to reconsider what our critical loads really are. And learn to or begin to acknowledge the fact that we cannot continue to live with the amount of power that we've been using. This planet doesn't have it in it anymore. We, we, and we all need to rethink what we really need. And, and how much we Do consume we really? without even thinking about it. Excuse me? And I said, and how much we consume without even thinking about it. We need to think yeah. about it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, every, um, every family needs what one of my clients referred to their middle child as the power Nazi. Every family needs one that goes well, around and turns the lights off and chides people for not being considerate of what they're wasting. I would use very different uh, terminology, but sure. the... Um, we all need to develop a conscience that helps us to remember that we don't actually need 
a lot of what we've been trained to believe that we need. Yeah, yeah. And right. we all need to start living our lives differently. All right. Yeah, That's really, really need to realign want versus need. There's a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, on, on, I, I appreciate all the information that you share. None of it means anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> Or very little of it. I've heard that comment before. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.